Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good morning, my name is Gene and I'm one of the pastors at Exilic and I want to welcome you again to our Sunday service. For the past four or five years at the church, it's fallen on me to preach the final sermon of the year. And because we wrap up our Advent series at our Christmas service like we did last week, and we always kick off our new year with a DNA series, this one sermon is always unique. And I use this sermon to reflect upon the past year as well as to anticipate the new year. So I'll usually begin my introduction by highlighting some popular New Year's resolutions that people tend to come up with. This year I'm going to lose weight, quit a bad habit, save more money, find the one. I'm going to read more, I'm going to be cleaner, I'm going to be more organized, I'm going to live healthier and happier. And then I'll include some statistics about how so many people try to change, but they just can't seem to do it. And I'll say that true and lasting change is found only in Jesus Christ. The New Year's Sermon is easy because the entire Bible is about how Jesus changes us in a way that no one else can and in a way that we can't change ourselves. It's easy. But this year's sermon was not easy to write because 2020. It really feels like my last New Year's sermon was an entire decade ago. How many memes have we seen of the beginning of 2020 versus now? It's like those war movies when the fresh new recruits are headed into battle for the first time. They are wide-eyed and eager, and then there's always that shot of them passing veterans who are returning from the front. And these veterans are bloody, they are beaten, they're silent and they're dazed. And that's what it feels like. All of us are, are kind of staggering, limping into this new year. The entire world has changed in the past year. So many of us have been touched by death to some extent. We've battled uncertainty, fear, anger, 
loneliness, burnout, depression, anxiety, and even despair. And I thank God every day that he has sustained, protected, and provided for our church the way that he has in this past year. So as I reflected this week on what 2020 has meant for me and what I hope for 2021, I realized that while I had endured a great number of difficulties and while I am thankful and hopeful, my life in this year hasn't been very joyful. And this is because my natural inclination is to attach joy to my current circumstances. And I'm guessing it's the same for you. Think back to all the times when you truly rejoiced in life. When were the times that you've jumped for joy? For me, it's always when something good or something great happens. I get into my dream school, yes. She said yes, yes. We're, We're pregnant, hooray. My, my NBA team won the championship. Well, actually, I don't know what that feels like, but maybe this year. But yay! My joy is usually tied to my circumstances. I, I'm not that joyful on a typical Wednesday afternoon. And I'm the opposite of joyful when something bad or difficult happens. But one thing we see in the Bible is that joy for the Christian is never optional or circumstantial. Verse 4 of our passage today says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is a command that the author of this letter, Paul, he repeats it. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, you heard me. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And that seems impossible, doesn't it? Well, we have to understand what Paul means when he says rejoice. Joy for the Christian, it's much more than an emotion. It's an action. It's something we do more than something we feel. Here's how Tim Keller describes it in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, Rejoicing in the Bible is much deeper than simply being happy about something. Paul directed that we should rejoice in the Lord always, but this cannot mean always feel happy, since no one can command someone to always have a particular emotion. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks it needs. We haven't been very good at rejoicing in the Lord in 2020. And this is understandable to a certain extent. We, we've been in survival mode. We, we're trying to make it. We're limping our way into 2021. But do we want to be the types of people who are free from circumstantial happiness? Do we want to be Christians who have an unshakable, foundational, and eternal joy that endures no matter what life throws at us? 
Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be, made, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness, it refers to a, a gentleness or a steadiness. So whatever storm is raging outside, you are reasonable. You're gentle, you're calm, you're steadfast. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And this is the reason why we can rejoice even in the midst of tumultuous circumstances. The Lord is at hand. Now this phrase, the Lord is at hand, it has a double meaning. On the one hand, the Lord is with you. Because Jesus came in the incarnation, as we celebrated last week, because he fulfilled the law of God perfectly on your behalf, he was for us a better Adam. Because Jesus died upon the cross as our substitute, he took our penalty, our condemnation, our sin, and our shame. Because he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, finishing his mission. Because of Jesus, we are adopted as children of God when we trust in him as our Savior and Lord. The Lord is with you right now. The Lord is at hand. But this phrase, it also refers to the fact that Jesus is coming back. We live now in between two advents. We are saved, but in this life, we walk by faith, not by sight. And one day we will see Jesus face to face, and that day is coming. The Lord is at hand. Jesus' work, it's already completed, but it's not yet consummated. Here's what I mean. Last week, the entire country watched as a nurse from Queens was the first person outside of clinical trials to receive the COVID vaccine in our country. And it was incredibly moving after everything that America has been through and is continuing to suffer through. And the hope is that the vaccine would spell the end of this pandemic. Our hope is that COVID-19 is already defeated, but that reality is not yet consummated until the vaccine is fully administered and every trace of the virus is stamped out. This is what Paul means when he says that the Lord is at hand. Let me give you another example. Imagine holding a winning lottery ticket in your hand as the Powerball numbers are called. The moment you realize that you just won hundreds of millions of dollars, from one perspective, nothing has changed. You're merely holding a piece of paper in your hand, same as you were 20 seconds ago. You haven't received a dime. But in reality, everything has changed. While that jackpot hasn't been transferred into your account yet, the moment you sign the back of your ticket, it's yours. You can quit your job, you can max out your credit cards, you can plan out your new life. As Christians, we are holding much more than any lotto jackpot. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, 
who is a deposit, a guarantee that eternal life with our loving God is secured for us. So we can live our lives in light of that reality. We can view our careers, our families, our relationships, our highs and our lows with an eternal perspective. 500 billion years from now, our earthly sorrows will be all but forgotten. And every day forever will be better than the one before. The Lord is at hand. We can rejoice no matter what. Paul doesn't just give us an impossible command to obey. He gives us our present and our future reality in Christ. Joy is our natural response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. We are incredibly forgetful. We all suffer from spiritual amnesia. We're all like Dory from the movie Finding Nemo. We're constantly and immediately forgetting and losing sight of what Jesus has done for us. Once a week, on Sundays, we'll be reminded, but by Monday afternoon, we've already forgotten. And when we live like this, we don't see the power of the gospel in our lives. It's like owning a Lamborghini, but you forget and you ride a city bike around everywhere. And once a week, you remember, you take it out of the garage and you drive it around the block a few times. This is why we struggle. This is why we complain. This is why we're bitter, jealous, and dissatisfied with what we have. This is why we're unhappy when circumstances don't go our way. And what Paul does in the rest of this passage is he gives us ways for us not to forget and to live out our Christian reality. And he does this in three areas. And you know what? They make great New Year's resolutions for us to adopt in 2021. He addresses our prayer lives, our thought lives, and our church lives. And I don't really have time in this sermon to go through all of them in depth, but I really encourage you to read through this passage on your own as you begin this new year. So first, our prayer lives. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many times... Have you made a New Year's resolution to pray more in the new year? I think prayer is something that so many Christians struggle to do consistently. And part of the reason why is that we often approach prayer like it's a list of things we ask God for. Here are the things I need, God. So we tend to do it more when we really need something and less when we're good. But look at how Paul directs us to pray in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. He separates prayer from supplication. And supplication is bringing requests before God. 
And what he's implying here is that the two are not synonyms. Prayer is not just asking God for things, but it is relational communication with the living God. It is being in his audience, in his presence. It's walking with him. And it is in prayer that our hearts can be truly free. So what if prayer was less, God, help me with this interview, and more, Lord, you are so good to me. And don't miss that Paul directs us to pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving requires remembering. It's impossible to be thankful for anything without remembering what you're thankful for. When we pray with thanksgiving, it necessitates that we meditate on who Jesus is, what he's done for us. This is the natural posture for the Christian. Do you want to revitalize your prayer life in 2021? View prayer not as an obligation to ask God for things, but more of adoring, delighting, and remembering God. The second area that Paul addresses is our thought life. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, what this verse isn't saying is think positively. Be an optimist. Look on the bright side. Ignore the suffering and the pain. Think beautiful thoughts. Don't worry. Be happy. Hakuna Matata. That's not it. This isn't escapism. Paul knows that what we think about, the thoughts that occupy our minds, what we imagine and dream of, where our minds dwell, these things profoundly shape our character and find expression in our behavior and actions. Our outward actions flow from our secret thoughts. So we are to steer our thoughts toward what is good. We're to control our thoughts rather than being controlled by them. Every year, one of the top New Year's resolutions is to eat and live healthier. Lose weight, go on a diet, work out. How do you get a healthy body? I'm told that you nourish it with healthy food and you exercise it. What Paul is addressing here is mental health. How do you maintain a healthy mind and heart, you nourish it with nutritious, healthy thoughts. And what he does in verse 8 is he gives us our mental meal plan. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Feed your mind 
on healthy thoughts. Cut out the junk. You know, we've only begun to scratch the surface when it comes to understanding some of the long-term effects of this pandemic to our collective mental health. Especially considering the, the monopoly that social media has on our basic human interactions during this past year. I'll tell you, I've been doing more pastoral counseling than I have in my entire life combined. And the heaviness that our members are feeling as they struggle with their mental health, as they battle the demons of loneliness, depression, anxiety, addiction, and grief, it is tragic. And as a church, we want to make it a priority to address and support your mental health in the new year. If you are struggling in this area, please do not bear this alone. Reach out to friends, family, and the church. And make it a point, make it a priority to improve your mental health in this new year. And there are ways that we can do it. Are, are the endless news stories about the global pandemic, about the political division, about racial injustice, are these things taking a toll on your mental health? Well, then you need to feed your mind thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is honorable. Are you battling during the season with lust and sexual sin? Think about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Are you overly critical about, of, of yourself and others? Think about what's commendable and excellent. Are you beaten down by depression and anxiety? Think of what is worthy of praise. Are you mentally, emotionally exhausted and burnt out. Begin with your thought life. What are some ways that you can intake healthier thoughts? And notice here that, that Paul doesn't say, just read the Bible and think about God 24-7. Now, of course, that's the best thing we can do. But the qualities of God that are listed in verse 8, they're evident in all of creation. Even though this world is fallen, there is so much in life that still reflects God's beauty and truth. Find those things and reside your thoughts there. If all truth is God's truth and all beauty is ultimately God's beauty, what are some books that you can read in the new year? What music, what movies, TV shows, podcasts might align with things that are pure, just, honorable, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? And what are some of my reading, my viewing, or my listening habits that might be less beneficial or even detrimental to my mental health? Let's be intentional about addressing our mental health in 2021. We all need to do this. 
The last area that this passage addresses is church life. Paul says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. It's community. And in verse 10, Paul says that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly because the Philippian church's concern for him. He calls the Philippians his crown and his joy. So even as he commands the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always, his joy is intimately connected to the church. Although Paul says that he has learned how to be content in any and all circumstances, his brothers and sisters in Christ are such a source of joy. And what this means for us is that if we want to obey the command to rejoice in the Lord always, it's impossible to do this apart from Christian community. Think of Adam in the Garden of Eden. He had paradise, no sin, perfect communion with God, and yet God says it is not good that Adam is alone. We were created to be in rich and vibrant relationships with others so that we would together delight in and rejoice in God. I get asked this question all the time as a pastor. Pastor Gene, this year I want to take my faith more seriously. What's the best way that I can do that? And my answer is always, don't try to do it alone. Don't try to pray three hours a day. Don't try to read the Bible cover to cover this month. Lean into the church. Start here. Start with this. I'm not going to miss Sunday service this year. I'm going to make that a priority for my week, and I'm not going to be late, and I'm not going to miss it. Then, join and attend a community group and commit to not missing any. If you want to be more serious about your faith in the new year, start there. Lean into community. So, in the areas of your prayer life, your thought life, your church life, there are a lot of things that you can do to help your relationship with God in the new year. But ultimately, Christianity is not about doing. And the gospel is so good. It's good news because it's about what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. I mean, even in our passage, it it looks like Paul is just listing commands, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Pray. Think of these things. Practice these things. But if you look closer, you'll see that it's not all commands. This passage is filled with promises, 
Verse 5, the, the Lord is at hand. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and the peace of God will be with you. The Bible is not just a book of commands and directives. It is a book of promises. We often think of the Bible as, as how we have to live in order to obey God. But the Bible is first and foremost the story of how God acts to save us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I think verse 13 sums it up perfectly. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things because he is the one who strengthens me. God isn't a stern and distant father who demands our perfect obedience. He is the God who saves and strengthens so that we can rejoice in him. I love that Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice and he doesn't do it from an ivory tower. In fact, when Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice, he's actually sitting in a Roman prison under the threat of a death sentence. And he is exuding joy even in the midst of such hardship because what he has in Jesus is so much better. Are you limping? Are you staggering? into 2021? Do you want the new year to be a year marked with inner peace and rejoicing? Well, the same Jesus that that had Paul rejoicing in a cold Roman jail cell is the same hope that you and I have right now. So let's begin this new year rejoicing together in Him. Will you pray with me?